The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, you're getting married. Does Gemma know? <laughs> <laughs> it is the most complicated story on planet Earth. Who's she marrying? Is she marrying um, Je- Jeff Goldbump? <laughs> it is really bizarre. Uh, yes, so uh, to, put, to put this into context, which mm. I think we probably should, we are technically legally married, and we have been for so many years. When, you say, years. when you say technically married, do you mean you got married on, you know, some yogi organised this for you on the top of a mountain in Nepal or something? Or? No, 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 no. So we must be married 13 years because uh, Gemma was pregnant when we got married and Rose oh, was 13 okay. in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, um, no. So what happened was we got married yeah, because we loved each other and we got married in a very small wedding, uh, registry office in Sarasesta, all of that stuff, and then, uh, you know, carried on my life. That's presented a few problems in terms of... Um, from a for me from a religious point of view in terms of church and communion and all that kind of stuff so uh we spent the last 18 months or so um jammers wanted to to become a catholic for a long time so um we've managed to get all of the i's dotted and the, oh. the pope has done his paperwork oh, and all that say, kind of stuff because the pope has to say yes doesn't he yeah, well i don't think it's technically him but yeah one of his minions oh, i like to think it's him yeah it might be might be <laughs> you might write a little letter yeah. go on Ken. You can do it. He says, I like that, Mullins. I've, uh, I've, I've got his X100, original X100 book. But it's interesting because somebody posted on the Facebook group. <laughs> can you imagine that? Yeah. Someone posted on the Facebook group about Boris Johnson and Carrie, what's her name? Carrie Underwood? Is that his wife's name? Was his wife's name? Carrie, anyway. Carrie Undercarriage, yeah. Carrie Undercarriage. <laughs> uh, they said that, you know, he shouldn't be, they can't get, they shouldn't have got married in the Catholic Church. But oh. actually, they can, they could have, they did. They were, yeah. they were entitled to because neither of them even married before in a catholic church yeah. whereas i married my first wife where um Gemma's first husband was best man at in a catholic church and so uh, that means that when if uh, Gemma wanted to become a catholic uh we had to get all of the paperwork and all of this stuff from previous uh, you know kind of um confirmation certificates and all that kind of stuff from right. simon her ex-husband and um my ex-wife obviously is has not replied to any of the letters or anything like that, which is fine. So that's all done and dusted. So yeah, so Gemma will um, will will become a, a you know a, a religious buddy. Do you <laughs> and know we're going to we're going to get a, a Catholic wedding done on the same day. It, yeah. it, all, it all sounds so complicated. All I want to know is one thing: Does this mean now legally she can neck the communion wine? The Fuji cast. Well, uh, the only thing I'm not very happy about with this uh, with this marriage lark, Kevin. I don't want to trivialise, obviously, the communion wine, but um, I can't make the date, Kev. Mm, no, no, very sad, very sad. But I did pick the the middle of August. Did you do it on purpose? Yeah, didn't want to get I thought that might be the case. Well, welcome to the Fuji Cast. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm back. I know you really liked. Um, <laughs> Kev being with Gemma, but uh, it's you and your questions from our electronic mailbag and, of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're welcome to become a part of. If you'd like to send a mail, send it to click at fujicast.co.uk. If you're not a Fujifilm shooter, don't worry. It's a big community. Whatever flavour you shoot, you're very welcome. I noticed, by the way, Kev, uh, that we got to the 2K mark at last, properly, officially. I, I got my own jingles. <laughs> oh my god! Have you got a jingle pack now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
What else do you have on that pad of yours? Oh, I've got all sorts. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh. Hours and hours and hours of fun I'm going to have with you now. If you thought you were sick of my button box, if you pardon the expression, now you've got two. Um, um, and uh, we've got uh, the book of the week this week. Uh, what have we got, Kev? What's book of the week? Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to come and raid your shelf because I think I'm running out of books. <laughs> uh, i got uh, London Nights, uh, which is a Hoxton mini ah, press one. Okay. I don't well, think we've done it before. No, I don't think we have. And you're, you're a bit of a fan of Hoxton mini press, aren't you? you yeah. Like that. Um, Chris O'Sullivan is going to be our guest. Um, now, he was a book of the week, wasn't he, um, Chris? He, yeah. Yeah, he sent it to us. Yeah. Yeah. The year the woods, the, the wood, the, the year the world stood still. And so I thought, really, today it was an opportunity. Um, it's not so much an interview with Chris and about his life, although I'm, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll take an interest. Um, it, it's it's more really about producing a book and getting off your your, your jacksy and and thinking I've always wanted to make a book, and here's a man that went out and did it. So I thought let's talk about that. Yeah, good yeah. idea. Right, questions. Do you want to start? Uh, yes, um, on my tiny little monitor, which I'm finding very difficult to scroll oh. up and down with. Um, and for some reason, I can't minimise, <laughs> can't minimise Skype either. So I've got your massive face staring at me. Oh, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Right from the Facebook group, I'm going to start at the bottom, and uh, the re- most recent one is from Steve Horn. Uh, he says, Kevin, so it's directed. To- at me, presumably, what is the new Google page experience stuff all about and what does it mean for our websites? Right. Oh, yeah. I, I get a bit scared when Google sends stuff out and I kind of like hide it in the corner of a screen somewhere because I think oh, I'm never going to be able to understand this. So come on, Kev, spill the beans. Well, yeah, I mean, to be totally honest with you, it is, it is quite easy to misunderstand all of this stuff. So Google have um, for, a, for a couple of, well, for about 18 months, they've been warning us that they're going to be doing this um, this new kind of page insight stuff. And for them to give 18 months warning is pretty rare. And so it means that it's, you know, it's going to have a big impact. And it has had a big impact. It's, it's kind of rolled out through May and June this year. Um, and and uh, Steve mentioned Google page experience, which ultimately is what this is all about. If your website doesn't have a good page experience, it's going to really suffer, regardless of the technical SEO regardless of keywords and you know if you've spent all night you know uh, kind of doing all the technical elements and getting every single alt text right and all that kind of stuff if the website is difficult to navigate difficult to use then it's gonna it's gonna be ignored or, or it's gonna probably fall down the rankings and you know we've all been those local newspaper websites you know those ones and you go on there and it throws a blinking bmw advert at you full screen video yeah. and then you have to try to make you answer a question to yeah. read the article and all of that stuff all of those will 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 kind of have quite a dramatic impact this will so yeah i mean if you've got ultimately if you've got anything that moves around on the page that's bad so things like ads or uh, any pop-ups those kind of things that kind of move around and stop people from being able to see the text if they resize their screen or anything like that those kind of things are going to start uh, being impacted um but so- i think for photography websites generally you know mostly they're they're going to be okay because typically people are just showing off their pictures and a little bit of text and there's no fancy stuff going on it's really yeah there's two things that i can think of here though kev number one the uh, the the message that comes up to to make sure that people know cookies cookies can i can i eat your cookies um that one that message is that going to upset the page experience and the, the other one is 
there are some photographers, myself included, and, and you, that have pop-ups uh, if you want to join a mailing list. And a lot more photographers are, uh, have those these days. So that, do we need to switch those off? Well, the, the cookie stuff and everything, uh, yes, on the websites that you go to and they're huge and you can't go anywhere any further before pressing accept the cookies and everything, I think probably there will be an impact. Um, you know, I can't say for sure, but I would I would hope so because, you know, think about it from a human point of view. We go to those websites, you're, you, you know, you, you found something on Google, you think, I want to read that article, you go there and then it brings up a dialogue box that you can't get rid of until you tick loads of boxes and then you've got to scroll down and say, I accept blah 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 and this is all to do with gdpr and all that box like that that is just awful um and yes hopefully those kind of things will go away because i absolutely hate them and if you think about it like i said from a human point of view if it annoys you as a human then that's what google's looking at if it's annoying so your pop-up that says sign up to my mailing list if that's annoying to, to general people, then yes, it probably will have an impact. However, the square, I don't know about you, but my Squarespace one, I don't have it on my wedding website, but on f16.click I do, but I have it so it only comes up if they scroll down more than three quarters of the page. It comes up in the corner. I don't have it pop up on mobile and it doesn't appear again for that particular user. Um, you know, if they don't sign up, they don't sign up. It doesn't doesn't come back again when they come back the next day. So I think that would be all right. But yeah, if it's annoying people, physically people, then it will it will will have an impact. So, so the, the, squarely at those newspaper websites. Yeah, you bet. Um, newspaper sites, of course, have uh, have a, an added issue here, don't they? Because of course they 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 need subscribers now because the old. The old-fashioned way of going out and buying a newspaper in the morning, you know that that's kind of that's kind of going, isn't it? People people yeah. consume their news online, and of course, people like the Guardian. I think the Guardian do it, don't they? They yeah. they, they need you to subscribe, and 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 that those pop-ups that you know, if you want to read any further. What about the five or a month? Yeah, well, that's slightly different because that's that's a paywall. So that's a business model that they're basically saying you can't get access to it until you pay for it. And that's fine because, you know, you just can't get access to it. I'm thinking of the, the kind of more of those local newspaper websites. We've got one called Wiltshire Gazette, which is a physical paper, but you go to the website and it's just full of crammed full of adverts because, of course, yeah, you're right. They're not making any money elsewhere. These adverts are terrible and it's... You know, it's all of those kind of, uh, I don't know, you'll never believe what Dawn from EastEnders looks like now kind of things. Right. You know, and, and men of 48 years old need to click on this to claim their rightful pension. You know, it's all targeted and it just gets right in the way of the of the content. And that's the kind of stuff that wow. I think will we'll really get his ass kicked. They're, they're going to have to really rethink their advertising um, uh, methods, aren't they? Well, they've, they've had two years nearly to rethink it and, and yeah. the Wiltshire Gazette is still the same. So, yeah. you know, hopefully... Hopefully, but I mean, I'm saying the Wiltshire Gazette, that's the one I read, but they're all syndicated. So all of these websites, if you go, like if I go to the South Wales Argus, it's exactly the same website, but it has local news in there. So there's some kind of big conglomerate business at the top of these websites that that probably need to be doing their thing, I would say. But yeah, photography sites, I don't think too much of a worry. You know, what, what everybody really should be doing is using Webmaster Tools or Google Console, as it's called now, because that will tell you exactly any pages it's it's a traffic light system a little bit like the um the, the ridiculous one for traveling <laughs> across the countries um it, the, however the one in the google console works so it will say green if your page is good it'll say orange if it's it, orange means it's not failing but it could be better red means it's it's failing and needs needs addressing i haven't asked this question for so long so there's bound to be some some people that have perhaps joined the podcast but we used to talk all the time it seemed um extensively about squarespace and and whether you know it was it was good really to to be on that platform because for 
for quite a long time. Obviously, the conversation was, no, you don't want to be on, on Squarespace necessarily because WordPress is, is much better for your search engine optimization and, and Google send them Christmas cards. <laughs> no, it, none of that is true, you know, because ultimately all content management systems all they do is generate HTML. And so, yes, there are plugins and widgets and all of that kind of stuff that can you know, help you with your SEO. But ultimately, the, the best websites are the most simple ones. And that's it. It's, it's about how much content comes to it, how much traffic. Um, so, yeah, I don't, don't, I, I'm building a, a WordPress site now for another person, yeah. basically. It's hard. It you know, really is hard compared to the Squarespace stuff I've been using. Yeah, it's given me a lot more options in terms of the functionality because they need specific stuff that's really just not not available in Squarespace. Like they need ticketing and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's not a joy for me to use it anymore, WordPress. And I used to enjoy it, but I've used you know, Squarespace for so long where everything is just really, really simple that um, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a headache. I wonder why Squarespace don't, don't think about stuff like ticketing. Um, I mean, they do have a commerce side, don't they? Yeah, they. You can get third-party integrations yeah. and stuff, but but yeah. really, the whole. I mean, if you look at the uh, the history of Squarespace, it's aimed more at small businesses um, that you know really want to to make it very simple to make very beautiful. That's that yeah. that was their premise: simple and beautiful. Um, without overcomplicating things, so I think their business market is is right. I think you know personally, I think it's perfect for me and and for most most kind of websites. If you want something a lot more complicated, then WordPress does give you more opportunities. However, you're probably you know if you want something really really complicated, you're probably better off getting a uh, you know a, a proper design agency and to to hard code it and, and put a uh, you know fully fledged CMS behind it. You know, depends on on what you want really. Um, Joshua Rothman, this was kind of a comment on a post, but it's become a question. And you sent it through to me the other day, so I'm assuming you want you want to. <laughs> this one, sorry, this was the one that Gemma and I started last week. Oh, reading. yeah, yeah, it was. And it, it was a big question, yeah, and yeah. Uh, we, we we tried for basically about an hour trying to get words out, and uh, it just didn't happen. So uh, I promised Joshua that we would have it this week. <laughs> Do it this week instead. That was great, by the way, you and Gemma. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I listened in two parts, on the way over to have my jab and on the way back. You were my, <laughs> you were my jab companion. Yeah, good, uh, good. Dear Kevin and Neil, I'm a hobby photographer who takes pictures of my family. My question is about video and nostalgia. Recently... Recently, I've been dabbling in making short family videos. Nothing elaborate, just three or four clips edited together that might capture a day on the beach or a breakfast. I'm a competent photographer, but I find video on Fuji a little overwhelming. Most of the tutorials uh, seem designed for YouTubers or filmmakers who are aiming to produce high-quality cinematic video with cuts and B-roll and all that stuff. I enjoy the simplicity of candid family photography, and I'm not sure how I feel about the added gear and editing work required to make those kinds of films. Meanwhile, my wife has an old VHS tape, careful, of her family's movies. It's a compilation of clips taken over 40 years, starting in the 50s and ending in the 90s, uh, presented in only rough chronological order. All the clips are silent. The oldest, taken with some kind of 8mm movie camera. They they show a snippet of a wedding, some kids playing in the street, houses in Brooklyn and the suburbs, family barbies, funeral and so on, all through the decades, with cars and clothes and people from different eras. At one point, an uncle who died as a pilot in the Vietnam War brings the camera inside his cockpit, takes off, performs some barrel rolls. In fact, that's how the tape ends, in the air. From a technical standpoint, 
The footage is grainy, shaky, blurry, and of course there's no sound, music, text, or any clever editing. But it's an incredibly moving and beautiful tape, almost as though somebody chopped off a box of old film reels, uh, dropped off, sorry, a box of old film reels at a film processing centre and said, can you transfer these to tape, mate? No one in the family today knows who put the film together or even when. I have two questions. I know that was a long... I think you needed a lot of context to go into it, didn't you? Do yeah. You, do you think that today's average digital footage, ungraded, poorly mic'd, made with iPhones, GoPros and so on, will age as well as the silent film footage on my wife's tape? Will we be equally moved in the future by super-wide action, action cam video? Or is it important to make better footage because it will better stand the test of time? Well, there we go. Uh, there were two questions, so let's do it with one part at a time. What do you think first, since I've <laughs> I've spent ages reading the question? I do have some thoughts. Yeah, well, first of all, I love the story. I love the story of those uh, those film clips. Yeah. Being in the family. And when I read that originally, I was I was thinking, he's spot on. You know, it, you go to YouTube these days, and uh, unless I'm looking for something very specific, if I'm just looking through my usual kind of feed, it is full of awesomeness and smash it this and you know and blinking jingles and you know all of that kind of stuff and and it's very you know it's very good some of it is very good and it's highly produced um if i'm looking for inspiration or if i'm looking for something that i want to enjoy rather than get information from i'll typically go to vimeo and uh you know we, we talked about that last week actually as well in terms of an artistic point of view i think vimeo is better but yeah i mean you know the thing is you can create whatever you want, and as long as you enjoy it, it doesn't have to be the best thing in the world. It doesn't. It could be the 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 worst thing in the world, but that's very subjective. Because if you enjoy it, and the people who sh- you show it to and your family enjoy it, then everyone's a winner. Yeah. You know, that's that's my thought on it. That's my take on it. Well, I think it's the same as your silent footage. It's still nostalgia. It may look technically different to an extent. Well, to a high extent. But what will shine through really is one word story not how it was shot how it sounds who's in it it's it's story and you you can you can make so-called better footage but the only thing that matters really is that word isn't it who is in the pictures why why did you make it i'm I'm big into why at the moment (laughs) and what difference it will make to the viewer when they when they view it i think that's the only thing you need to worry about and hell if it if if, when you link it all together there's this sudden jump of that looks different that's that's just another sign of the times, isn't it? And that's part of that story. Absolutely. You know, don't don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that you know the, the modern stuff isn't isn't useful. But it's you know it's like people who like listening to I don't know nineteen twenties music. You know, it 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 sounds different. It's mm. probably not been re- reprocessed and all that kind of stuff. And that doesn't make it any less uh, enjoyable for those people. You know. So yeah, story. You're right. The story is the most important thing. And ultimately, if it's not for you know any kind of promotional thing, then who you know, who cares? Yeah. We, uh, we were talking about Keris Matthews yesterday, weren't we? Keris has a show on, on Six Music and the BBC in the, in the UK. I don't, I don't know if you can get it outside. But, but anyway, um, she plays really old, almost like wax cylinder stuff sometimes, alongside new stuff from, from um, I was going to say CD, but that's old-fashioned, um, uh, alongside vinyl, along whatever. I mean, sometimes the poetry she plays, I love her show, is really crackly old sort of 40s, 50s recordings. But it kind of all melds together, doesn't it? Yeah, she's wonderful. I actually have not listened to that show, but I will because uh, I, I really love her. She she was the turn at a wedding I did once. I know, I know. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, and she is, she's got such a laconic voice as well, you know, and 
lots of uh she's very 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 art driven um you know she's not she's not just a, a pop star as they say but yeah it's um yeah i love i i just i could just i would love to have her just you know, speaking into my ear and going to sleep at night. I was about to say, ASMR, I would be straight on there and sign up to the Patreon. Second part, is it possible that making highly produced family films with a soundtrack, B-roll and so on, is a mistake? Could it be better to just let clips sit in a digital drawer for a few years, select a few of them, throw them together without thinking too much about it, trusting that their meaning will increase with time? My instinct is that I'd prefer to spend fewer hours in front of Final Cut Pro then leave a mystery tape behind when I shuffle off this mortal coil. But I also wonder whether it's even possible to aim for that outcome in our digital age. Apologies for the long, long question, but I've been mulling over this for a while, as my hard drives are filling up with clips. I'd value your perspective as my photography gurus. Oh, don't put us too high. Josh Rothman, Long Island, New York. Yeah, well, I think the part of the problem is that it's so easy to create these days. You know, I mean, we've all got millions of clips on our phones, uh, you know, millions of them. And, you know, if it's family stuff, you, you're reticent to delete it. So you leave it on your phone and then it gets uploaded to your, I don't know, wherever wherever your Apple stuff goes, iCloud. And, you know, mine goes up to Dropbox and that fills up. And then, you know, it becomes a chore to look through them all and decide which ones you're going to keep, which ones you're not. And then you end up just sticking them on a hard drive and thinking, I'll sort that out later. It goes in a drawer. And then 30 years later, that's where they'll end up probably. But yeah, it's, it is a, it's a challenge challenge it's a challenge the, oh. the the simple answer is is don't press record until you're sure <laughs> well you said it really in your second para um the the meaning does increase i think with time cars fashions those that survive the footage loved ones maturity is what, what what's going to make this special i mean i don't think it matters whether whether this is digital film vhs beta max whatever as we said before um think think of this I, I, I keep coming back to story Set up conflict resolution. Make a, make a story out of it. But uh, it's quite... Set an, up a conflict? Yeah. No, not set up a conflict. Set, like, you know the three-part... What's that thing called? Three-part... We learned this in school, Kev, didn't we? Uh, three-part, um, the way they put plays together. Set up conflict resolution. Okay. I, I never learned that in school. That's the way you make a story. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Set up conflict. Come on then, Pol Pot. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> i don't think he produced any films right yours so question from uh colin monteith he says hi kevin and neil question for the show i have uh fuji and in particular love my x100v but i'm mostly monochrome oh i can see where this is going i'm mostly monochrome and in the new never-ending quest for the ultimate black and white i bought a leica q2m <laughs> the argument yeah nice the argument yeah. over a uh, post-converted raw conversions rather versus pure monochrome a luminosity sensor will go on forever and uh, yeah you're not wrong uh, any chance fujifilm will introduce an m x pro or x100 <laughs> an aps-c resolution with no rgb would be sensational uh, we've chatted about that many, many times, and I believe that there are many, many people inside and outside of Fujifilm that would love it, including some of the the pretty pretty high end uh, uh, people in the decision making process. But ultimately, would it sell? That's that's the thing. You know, the Leica Q2M. Uh, it, it, yeah, I've seen pictures from it. it. Is absolutely beautiful. I would, I would, you know, give my right arm for a uh, for a monochrome sensor, a proper monochrome sensor, not just one that just converts it, but one that is uh, with no RGB um, technology inside it would be great. I agree. I don't think it will happen, personally. I think the, the answer will be we shall consider. 
<laughs> yeah, I wonder whether it was all going to come down to that. Would be nice though, wouldn't it? I laughed. Yeah. Did you see? Uh, well, I didn't laugh, but did you see that Fujifilm had their servers ransomware last week? So they had a, a big hack, and uh, one of these, you know, one of these things, you know, where they say, right, you got to pay us twenty-five million bitcoins or whatever it is, oh. and we'll give you your systems back. And there's been a big spate of this recently, and and in a lot of cases, because I was reading about it, in a lot of cases, the companies just pay it. Um, you know, they don't really talk about it, but they pay it. But Fujifilm didn't. They give them a good old we shall consider. <laughs> And then just restored from backup. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've got any. Um, have I got any Bitcoin hanging around? I still don't understand entirely how, how this works because Bitcoin's worth what? It sort of fluctuates between twenty-two and thirty k, or, or whatever, whatever price is set by some that um, that seem to talk out. I think Elon Musk, if he says something, it sort of flies up and down, doesn't it? The value of it. But but I, I went into a shop whilst on holiday. Um, a couple of weeks ago now, and and it said we accept Bitcoin. I was thinking, well, how can you accept Bitcoin? Each one's worth about twenty five k. Can you break it down, Kev? I don't know. I I, I really don't know. I was I, I I know as little about it as you do. Really, I know that it's a uh, you know it's democratic currency, and that yeah. it's not tied to any state. It's not tied to any bank. You know, nothing like that. So there's no there's no political interference with it. Um, which is the case with a lot of currencies. So, uh, yeah, I really don't know about the um, you know, me- mechanisms behind it. I really don't. It's it's way above my kind of yeah. brain level. But interestingly, I was watching. I was watching one of the. Ch- <laughs> I don't know why she's remarrying me. She came in the other day. I was watching chess on my laptop. I was playing chess on my phone, and I had the Wales game uh, on S4C in, in Welsh on the telly. She really loves you. <laughs> she just came in, looked at me, shook her head, and then walked out again. Uh, but anyway, the chess tournament, this particular chess tournament, was they had the prize fund was at the start of it was a hundred thousand oh, wow. um, dollars equivalent in Bitcoin. Right. And all the way through the this kind of seven days of the tournament, they had a, a thing at the bottom, a scale to show exactly how much it was. So when the final piece was moved on the last game, that's what they were going to give the players. Uh, and it was 79,000 by that point. So it's gone down 21,000 in seven days. <laughs> yeah, that's the. There was one. What, what's the country that um, are going to make it legal tender? Uh, is it Bolivia, I think. Is it Bolivia? Uh, it's one of the Central American countries, yeah. wasn't it? I yeah. think it was Bolivia. Yeah. Um, Johan Borhead. Hello, Barbie. Hello, Ken. Just to bring us back to normality. Mm-hmm. When you, if you don't understand that, you have to listen to a show a couple of weeks back. Uh, when, when you fall in love with a camera, what are the three things you mostly tend to like? Did you do this on the show the other day? Yeah, we did, did this last week. You did that one, didn't you? Can't do that. <laughs> oh, I did that just so you could, just so you could play me one of your jingles. I was thinking, I'm sure they answered this one. See, that shows you I did listen. It does, yeah. I was going to let you read it all out. And no, because I, I was listening. I was reading I think, hang on. No, 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 no. They, they, they did this one, the Barbie and the Ken bit. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited, though, by the way, that I've – and it was that show. You kind of – I know I know. I kind of knew this this um, this story anyway, but the moment I heard you and Gemma talk, talking about the fact of the, the X100V thing that you – that, that, snuck in. That, that you snuck in. <laughs> you were you were well and truly busted with that one. Yeah. I said yeah. that that just. I mean, I'd been talking about it for weeks, and I thought, oh, b- Rick, Kev, Kev did it, and Gemma was fine on the podcast about it, so I'm going to buy one. Yeah. So, put in a Tesco carrier bag. Someone never noticed. <laughs> it arrives Monday. I'm going to say no. That's my X Pro One. She'll never know the difference. <laughs> I might put a label on it. Uh, have I got another one, or can you do one? 
Can you do one from, should we have one more from the Facebook group before we go for this week's interview? Yeah. Okay. So this next question is from Joe Bowden and he says, uh, so I have a few weddings this July carried over from last year that want to go ahead. Um, but one has decided they don't want to prep part any longer and are looking for a substantial discount as the numbers are reduced throughout oh. the day as well uh, due to the restrictions, of course. So um, is Joe in the UK? so um so obviously restrictions might not be there uh, from 21st june fingers crossed anyway we don't know so so how to go about telling her that she's not getting a discount without coming across too heavy and potentially making the day a frosty occasion um hmm. how many times sorry i did i did did have they cancelled a few times previously did you say yeah i think so so this is a rebooking to this july and essentially they you know they're going to go with the 30 people rather than the let's just say 120 people and so they want they want to pay a lot less yeah so if there's less people at our wedding doesn't matter that you're there for the same amount of time making the same effort and are expected to probably produce the same amount of photographs we still want it cheaper yeah that that was my initial thought so it's it it is a really tricky one because you're right about not wanting to be frosty but also you 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 know don't want to lose the booking completely but yeah uh, that's the way to deal with it is and that's what you should say to them is you know look at the time yes okay if they don't want bridal prep any longer then knock a little bit off but if they want you there let's just say they want you there for six hours instead of eight hours then offer them you know a two-hour reduction in that fee um but that's that's the way to to play it. Yeah, definitely. It's, I think. It, yeah, it's a bit hard nosed, but I remember the words of a negotiator whose podcast I produced. Um, I've known him for quite a while. He he negotiates with lo- lots of supermarket businesses, so he knows knows what he's doing. And he, he he always had this sort of this negotiation tactic of his was right. Okay, so you want it cheaper? Fine. Which bits of my service don't you want? Yeah, and then he would go quiet because I mean that that's in essence, you know, you're saying well. I want everything you do, but I want it at half price. Well, that's fine, but not so fine. Which bit? Which bits aren't important to you? But that's a very. We're in a very touchy feely business, and um, I remember saying this to him. I said, "It's uh, his name's Steve." I said, "Steve, it's very, it's very difficult to negotiate that way, in a in an artisan." And before I could even get to the end of the sentence, he said a rude word and said, "No, it's not." You know, it, it's the same. It's the same negotiation tactic. You may need to be softer in the way you deliver it, but but essentially say the same things. You're still negotiating for a business. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree, and I, I'm I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty forthright with my my kind of uh, reductions and things like that. It does come down to if you want to pay less, you yeah. you will get less, and and I think that's that's an important thing. It is really tricky at the moment though because. Yeah. You know, well, I feel sorry for the photographers. Of course I do, because I am one. And, and you know, I've got a couple of weddings in July, one of which is already kind of, you know, muting, moving it again, mm-hmm. muting rather than muting, uh, moving it again because they're worried that the, uh, the, the, the go-free day on the 21st June won't happen. At the same time, I feel really, I desperately feel sorry for the clients. I mean, th- this particular person, uh, this will be their fifth attempt, you know, and, and it's like, and, and there will have been cost involved for them on all of these things. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it is really, really tricky, but also ultimately you can't uh, you can't do it for nothing you know simple as that and and yeah that, that the easiest way to persuade them or to explain to them is on the time basis you know if you if you want me there for a little bit less fine i'll reduce the price a little bit less as a gesture of goodwill but you know and and, and if they say to you well we only want you there for one hour then you have to decide whether you want to do that wedding and charge them for one hour's worth of work but if they want you there for the six hours and but they only want to pay you for one hour then that's when you you know you need to go and get steve from sainsbury's and explain to them properly 
<laughs> no, I certainly wouldn't send Steve in there to negotiate your wedding stuff. He's a lovely chap, but I'm not sure that's his game. Um, but but he does he does speak a lot of sense. He, he he really does. Negotiate this was the thing that we were building and working on together. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it is a very difficult one, really difficult one. And and you just you mentioned just a moment Freedom Day because that's what the press are calling it, aren't they? Uh, and of course this this comes out on Freedom Day, so we have no idea as we're speaking, Kev, what what this means for the UK opening up because as we're speaking let's come clean it's a friday when we're recording this this goes out on the monday Absolutely. 21st 21st of freedom day freedom is day it- sorry freedom day is 21st so 14th is when they make the decision whether freedom day will happen that's what ah, that's what i yes. meant okay yeah. sorry i'll take back my trombone Can you- <laughs> yeah so i mean we don't we don't know what i'm mean, yesterday i i got a little text from from Sam as I was stood in the queue at the dentist, which I, is not my favourite place to be, but it did raise my spirits for a moment when I saw that she'd sent me um, a link to a Times piece which suggested that whilst the country, some of it might not do what it what it wanted to do come the 21st, that weddings would be allowed to go ahead with unlimited numbers. Um, yeah, saw it. I actually saw it in the Times physically. So, yeah, I, I, I read that too, and I think... Who knows? Crossed. Who knows, Kev? Who knows? Well, who does know? But yeah. yes, I mean the the Times is more um, kind of aligned with the the inside of the Conservative Party, isn't it? So, I think probably they, I, I take I take their word with with you know quite a quite a healthy bit of trust. Do you? Yeah. Okay. I hope you're right, Kev. Yeah, I, I do as well. What about this though? We can't see into the future. You already know the answer if you're listening to this podcast. That's true. Shall we speak to Christopher O'Sullivan? I liked his book, the, the Year the World Stood Still, and this was your book of the week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, I can't remember when, probably a few months back. Yeah, yeah um, it, was, it was a lovely book, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I thought this week, um, we, we've got some really exciting interviews coming up. I know you've got some in the, in the, in the plans, Kev, and I'm going to be talking with, um, with Carl who put that extraordinary... Um, he must have spent ages writing that piece in the Facebook group, by the way, about about using video properly within Fujifilm cameras. And we're going to... It was gonna, a wonderful post, wasn't it? It was really good. And I'm, I'm going to be talking to, to him about that. But today, Christopher O'Sullivan, if you've ever thought about piecing a book together, these next few minutes hopefully will be an inspiration to you. And I'll tell you why. Um, Chris, as you're about to hear, is to or paraphrase slightly from the interview so as not to be a complete spoiler. Quote, an ordinary Joe who always felt that making a book, writing prose, pictures uh, or otherwise was really for the clever folk. He's been through a, a real explorative time, as Chris, to make this book about the world experience we've all been on or, or endured and so on. He's produced his own memoir, his own way to mark this time. And he went on to make a book. A micro-publishing adventure, since that seems to be the the on-trend way to describe smaller runs of commercial books. But commercial it is, and out there it is. I speak to many, I I suppose, household-named photographers about their books. A a product of years of experience. In fact, I want to tell you about one immediately after. But to make your first book, to see it in print, to hold it, to say, I did this, list tick, now let me make my next... I think is something really special. Christopher O'Sullivan. The Year the World Stood Still is the book we've reviewed in the past. Let me get a handle on you as a photographer, Chris. What what you shoot and how this affected you, late March 
2020 when this horrible lockdown thing started? It's a strange one, really, because I'm I'm pretty new to photography as a hobby. I shoot landscape. I do a bit of astrophotography. I do enjoy street photography as well. It's not a profession of mine. I'm I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. And last year I got furloughed and um, the wife just got sick of me being underfoot, really. And so every time I went to town, she told me to take my camera with and in the hope, I presume, that it would make me be out of the house for half an hour longer than normal. <laughs> and I, um, I took it from there. There was no, no firm plan for a book as such. I wanted to record the events for myself and for my kids and my grandkids um, in the future, that they could look back on these times because we don't know what how it's going to be portrayed in the media in the future. Because it's interesting. I mean, well, as I look through the book, what you've said to me is well, it's pretty much as you described. There's, there's no what I would call straight format to it where where you think right there's going to be lots of pictures of empty streets there's going to be this and that you you literally did go shoot what you saw didn't you yes um it was literally just uh out with the camera and if something caught my eye and the, the way i shoot my style of photography is pretty much the way i was brought up really i've, I've always been an outsider i've been an outsider looking in when I was five, my parents emigrated to South Africa and I was an immigrant over there, spent 30 years in Africa. When I came back, then I was an immigrant again in my own country kind of thing. So I've always been a bit of an outsider looking in. And I think I have a little bit of a, an advantage over others in that respect. I will see things in a scene that others might miss. And that's what I did. And it was only later on when I was reviewing 2020s photographs and the wife was sat next to me and she says they need to get put in a book <laughs> that's where the idea for the book started i went through all the photographs and i i must have had seven eight hundred photos from oh. last year and then i had to try and choose which photos i would use which ones tell a, a balanced story of life during the c word and that's where i've got to the it starts off with a the book starts off with that sunset although they had nothing to do with covid it just happened to coincide with new year's eve and it was a comparison photograph between my fuji xt1 and my friend's um d5300 because you you shot you shot the whole thing on di on different cameras i think there are even some uh, iphone shots in there aren't there there's one or two that were taken with my my samsung with my smartphone right um, most of the early photos are taken on my xt1 okay then the later ones were taken with the xh1 there's, there's quite a lot of commentary in the book as well chris and telling the story in words as much as pictures it seems to me like this was a much needed outlet for you in that respect you, you, you it's it's some great there's some great writing and great observations in there i think i think it, it i did need it i needed it more than uh, the book needed it i think covid affected me a lot more than I expected. Um, I was one of the fortunate ones, as I say in the book, I was one of the fortunate ones in that I was furloughed from work and I was furloughed on full pay. Mm. So financially, I was not impacted. There's a lot of people out there that were, you know, severely impacted, but still affected me mentally with that 
going through month after month, not knowing if this was the month that I'm going to get that end of contract letter through the post and not knowing when you can go out. The spontaneity of life just was taken away from you. It's, it's a very honest book as well. I mean, it, as you say, um, there's a picture of your neighbour. This one really has caught my eye. It's quite early on in the book, actually. You pictured... Um, her clapping for carers and she was to succumb to covid just weeks after that picture that you you made i i guess at this stage as a well i'm i'm going to say you're a photographer because whether you do it full time or whether you do it as a hobby or whatever you're a photographer you're making pictures there there seemed to be that 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 was the turning point in the book i think that 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 became the heightened sense of documenting for me well thank you but that that photo was taken um she's had a She'd had a, a rough time of it of late. She'd battled cancer and we didn't see much of her. She lives next door but one to me, or lived next door but one to me. Yeah. We didn't see much of her. And to see her come out and start clapping for the carers, I actually turned around, went back in and got my camera to take mm-hmm. that photograph. That was the one photograph where I actually did not have a camera in my hands at the time. And like, sadly, she did pass on. I've mm. since given a copy of the book to the family, the, the surviving family, because the two lads got um, COVID at the same time as the mom. Oh. So she passed with nobody around her. The one son was in a coma. It was, it was a tough time for that family. Mm. And it was then that the attitude in our street changed. Because no longer was it numbers. Now there was names attached. I assume that the two two lads, well, hopefully the two lads pulled through okay? Yes, they both survived and um, they're doing okay for themselves. The, the one is still got it, the long COVID symptoms. Mm. I mean, in terms of light and shade, because that's life, isn't there? There's a fair bit of light humour in here as well, such as the... The sign you stuck on your fridge making it a, a no-go zone, or the fact you say, never in a month of Sundays did, did you imagine your hands would consume more alcohol than your mouth. Um, putting this collection together then, but I mean, I think you've already said it really, it became a bit of a stress reliever. Yes, um, it, it wasn't intended that way. It's a strange one how it came about. There, there was no rhyme nor reason. But when I started compiling the book, I felt I had to lighten the mood a bit. It was, it'd be too easy to make a book like this and have it all about the doom and gloom of COVID and the numbers and the isolation and everything. But there was parts in the year that people will, will forget in the future. Mm. The funny parts, the and I tried to bring that in with some of the photos, some of the, the wildlife coming back to the garden. There was uplifting moments as mm. well. In fact, yes, that's a real mix of styles because you mentioned the birds, your pictures of the birds in the garden. They, they live cheek by jowl with the images of people you make on the street. It's got, it's got a... Uh, I don't, I'm not sure this is the right expression or, or you'll enjoy me saying it, but it seems to have a diary feel to it. I think that's probably my um, my inexperience coming to the fore with compiling the book. This is my first attempt at doing something like this. Mm. And I tried to get the photos and the story running chronologically. But it was one of those things where I had no idea of what I was doing, if you know what I mean. I rewrote this book about four or five times. Oh. I'd hand it to the wife and she'd go, 
there's a mistake that needs to be changed that's in the wrong place and it was back to the drawing board again did you did you take inspiration from other books as well was there anything that you looked at at the time chris where you thought oh that's good i'll borrow that sort of from there and I'll, or, or or really did you go into it with just your vision and your wife's vision just just the two of you the photos were all my own doing as i said there was no um, intention to do a book it was a personal memoirs or something for 2020 for me for the the children and the grandchildren it was only back in um january that the wife says it needs to go in a book and then alex Fredrickson as well we were in discussions with her book yeah and with her doing her book i started moving forward with thinking well maybe i can do one and i took it from there well let's get to the logistics in a minute because i'm sure a lot of people listening are going to be like come on neil you said you were going to you know share or spill the beans on on how how you put a book together in the first place so we'll come to that Uh, but but the pictures in this book they end in december but of course here we are back in summer six nearly seven months on with a with full relaxation still a dream figures mounting again even though the jabs arrived did you carry on, Chris? And, and is there a, going to be a revised edition? I have taken a few photos, but the story seems to have evaporated slightly now that life has got back to normal and my work is getting in the way. I'm not going down to town every day. No. Because the wife's ill health, I, had to, I was the one that had to go shopping. I was the man on the front line. Yeah. And um, my, my visits into town were basically like little military operations. It was infiltrate, conquer, and get out. Then take a snap here and there. And that seems to have um, fallen by the wayside, shall we say, this year. I have been taking photos, and I'll see how that progresses over the the course of the year. Maybe in 2022, I'll have the year the world got back on its feet. Well, I hope so. That's the one I'd love to read on the back of this one, a second part. Well, let, let's let's talk about the, the book itself then and uh, the nuts and bolts of this whole thing. Um, who did you use to publish it, first of all? I had it printed by You Love Prince. Right. I asked a question on the Fujicast uh, about who the people use for photo books. Because at, at the time, I only knew of, like, photo box and those kind of companies. Yeah. And the, the costs were just horrendous. And somebody mentioned you love print. So I went on to them and I had a look and there was XYZ was mentioned as well. I think that's the one Alex uses, isn't it? XYZ. That's the one that Alex used, yes. Yeah. And the reason I went with you love print and not XYZ was purely because of the bleed margin. Right. XYZ wanted um, some Adobe PDF thing that allowed them to do a full-page photograph with bleed. And it was beyond my capabilities or my understanding of computers. Whereas You Love Print allowed me to do everything in a normal Microsoft Office format, a publisher, I think it was, I used. Mm -hmm. And then I just sent it off to them. And within a week, I had my proof copies back where I noticed that there was a few errors that needed fixing. I fixed those. And then I, I pumped it off to print, and a week later I had my my fifty copies that I, I had printed. What's the most challenging thing then about making a book that's more than a? I mean, this is fifty copies, as you say, the initial fifty copies. More, but you know, making a book that's more than a couple of copies, uh, you know, for my mates. This this is you know this. I think fifty when you go fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty, and so on. That that's when it becomes more of a well, a commercial book, perhaps. Well, um, what's the most challenging thing about that? I, I guess marketing it and selling it. 
yes marketing is is a big challenge the the whole thing is a roller coaster of emotions in my case i was feeling like an imposter when i was growing up it was the clever people printed um had books printed and i've never been one of the clever people i'm just your normal joe soap that goes to work and back every day the biggest challenge i think is actually convincing yourself to go with it i had started a, i'd taken a, a leaf out of Alex's book and I started a Facebook group yeah. and I asked people if they were interested just to to message me and the numbers went above 25 yeah. so I thought I'll try 50 and I did and I'm glad I did because I've sold 46 of the 50 copies so it's a success in the little amount that I'm I'm dealing with obviously I would have loved to have had thousands of orders but then How do I get to the post office with all these books? <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, and people talk about micro brews. Uh, and they also talk about micro publishing and that's essentially what this is but but it is it's some it's an achievement, isn't it? It it's it's producing you've already said it. You didn't think you had a book in you and you did. Yes, it, it it's a strange it's a strange feeling to see a work in print in front of you and yeah. know I did that. Yeah. And with my book I did everything I did the the words I did the layouts mm. the photos the lot the only thing that I did not do myself was the printing and it, it, is there anything that you you would have done differently when you look at it now Chris and think oh do you know I wish I'd just hmm, I wish I'd done that or or are you thinking look this is great the first pro project is done the first product's done roll on the next one because this is what I'd do differently this time that's a tricky question to answer properly because No, I wouldn't change anything in this book. This book has got the naivety and everything that shows that it's a first book. I'm I'm happy with the way it it came out. I'm happy with the quality of the book. The feedback that I've had from people, I've had two people not too happy about the the feel of the cover because I went for the soft laminate. No, I like it. It's in some circles it's called um I I had a brochure made of this. It's called soft Oh no, it's called curious touch because it is curious to touch. It's like a I don't know, it's like a velvet, isn't it? Yeah, I I don't know whether I should say this um to go out on the podcast but somebody did once tell me that it felt like dead man's hands oh my god well we'll keep that in because it's an interesting comment but for me no no for me it feels like i'm touching it now it's got it's 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 a stock called curious touch and it's fantastic it's very tactile well that is why that's why i chose it i thought well a book is tactile if it was going on um, amazon kindle fire things then you lose that you want to be able to pick something up so i i thought that soft touch laminate would be a nice start to to the book yeah, it is yeah i suppose if if i was to be really picky the only photograph that i would probably change was on page 65 is my black and white lighthouse but even that it's the black the, there's a reason for it being black and white and my biggest problem with this book is uh, and you've probably found it yourself with um, projects of your own one photo tells a multitude of stories to the photographer yeah. one story leads to another leads to another i can read this book and i can start chuckling at things that weren't directly involved with the photograph but they happened either just before or just after the photo was taken in a couple of words if if you were to give a a bit of advice to somebody who thinks i really want to make a book but 
don't know if I've got it in me. You are proof that it's possible. What would you say? Do it. You'll scratch your head. You'll have high moments. You'll have low moments. You'll have great big times of self-doubt. But boy, that feeling of accomplishment is like none other when you finally get to the finishing point. Our sincere thanks to Christopher O'Sullivan. In the show notes today, we'll include uh, an email address for Chris so that you can get in touch with him. You may want to buy the book, of course, to live his journey, both in in pictures and uh, in experience in producing a first book. Or you may want to ask him some further questions. Either way, uh, and we'll link to the publisher he used too. Now, on Wednesday... Over on the Photography Daily podcast, I'm speaking to, to the much-celebrated photojournalist Tom Stoddart, whose latest book, made from 50 years of covering all manner of stories across the world, is called Extraordinary Women, a substantial book, one we've talked about in the, uh, in the show's patron on the, the book club, uh, a photographic collection that salutes the resilience, the courage in women through times of war, poverty and hardship. Some of the pictures are not for the faint-hearted, but I'll tell you what, if you should need a, a masterclass in composition whilst the, the world seems to be spinning faster than the 1,000 miles an hour it rotates at, this, this is the book. And as ever, Tom, who's become a, a friend, really, to, to the show uh, with his advice, his mentoring, and his sheer enthusiasm for the medium, is not short of sharing many thoughts upon how to make better pictures in that episode. My style over the years has been working very close to people, uh, shooting in black and white, and um, keeping it simple, you know. Photography is not a complicated business. Once you press the button the way that you want to shoot and the way it's effective, um, it's not that complicated. And so I think it's important to have your style and find out what suits you. The celebrated photojournalist Tom Stoddart on Wednesday on Photography Daily. And of course, we go for our photo walk on the, the Friday. You, uh, the mailbag, you, me, uh, a microphone and our cameras. Uh, there seems to, uh, well, there appears to have been a nice book theme this week with uh, another coming shortly. But I'd like to say thank you again to Christopher O'Sullivan. It feels like, uh, what with my mention of Tom, the two exciting publishing ends of the spectrum, doesn't it? First and uh, an established. Um, and hopefully, if you're thinking about making a book, then uh, that, that could have been inspiration for you. Thinking about making a book, Kev? Another another book, Kev? <laughs> Thinking about going on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you got a fit? Yes, this is important now. You've got to fit into your, your, your wedding. Um, what, what did... Uh, what, what what did she call it last week? What did um, she called it? Your something slim, um, slim suit from Zara. That was it. Your Zara, uh, yeah. your Zara slim suit. Is that what you're aiming for? Man from Zara. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's a lost lost cause though. I'm just going to roll up <laughs> literally and yeah, literally. Oh. I'm, I'm I'm slipping into middle aged apathy. <laughs> Who's going to shoot the wedding? Oh, we can't probably say yet, can we? No. Um, Bailey, no, Bailey, I've... Bailey's coming out of of, of um, semi-retirement. Maybe I'll shoot your wedding, Kev. Yeah, yeah I don't know. We we will definitely want something. So I, um, yeah, I, I need to put my head together for that. It's a tricky date though. You see, middle of August, Saturday yeah. in the middle of August. Yeah. What were you uh, doing, honestly? Trying to organise a Jeff wedding. Jeff Ashcroft is free. I always said I'd have him. Yeah, well, there we go. I'll tell him it's only it's it's only a uh, it's not a, like a legal wedding because we've done that and there's there's only going to be a handful of people there. So can we have it really cheap? Cheap. cheap. <laughs> I we want to all day though. <laughs> right. Um, back to questions. Hi, Kev. Uh, the Fujicast is one of my favourite photography podcasts. You guys do a great job together. Feel free to use this as a podcast question. I will. Um, here comes a what's the best question. 
I've got an XT4 and a 1680 and a 5140. I'm slowly transitioning from Nikon, Nikon, Nikon. So I can't give up my my instant classic D750 and and full-frame mentality just yet. This is from Doug Nicky, by the way. But I'm seeing so much great output from the X-T4 that it's getting easier to consider building building out my Fuji lens stable. I'm even trying out the Fringer NF-SF adapter next week which uh, would be great if it works for my FF macro, my full-frame macro, and longer wildlife zooms on my Fuji. Um, My type of photography includes uh, indoor events and uh, performances at my daughter's school, where the lighting's always a challenge. It always is in schools, particularly at plays, isn't it? The the 50 to 140 and X-T4 sensor gives me plenty of space to process in post, but I don't have a lens or second body for the up-close, wider-angle, low-light shots. So, and I already know your answer to this part, I'm looking at the X100V. I've had the T and the F and never got along with them, mostly because of my then inabilities rather than those of the cameras. Well, after renting an X100V this past week, I now get along with it. And that's so much fun. Do I consider the less expensive route and get a 23mm, either 1.4 or F2? But, but I also need to capture fast-moving kits. Or is there something, other Fuji or off-brand, that I should be looking at? Or do I just say, stop overthinking this? Get the X100V. Sounds like he wants the X100V and yeah. he's asking us for permission. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> That's yeah. what it sounds like to me. Well, what, uh, yeah, the X100V is, is is a beautiful camera. And what I would say about the uh, the thing that kind of pricked my ears there was the, the fast-moving kits. And yeah. the fact is, if you have an XT4 uh, and you put the 23mm, especially the F2, on that body, it will be faster than the X100V with its 23mm lens because the uh, the lens in the in the X100V is uh, has different you know kind of mechanisms in it. It's it's it doesn't have the same speed uh, of autofocus. You know, it's not far off, but it's not the same. Um, so if that really is a thing, then you're probably thinking more about um, you know a 23mm f2 lens and 1.4. Yeah, 1.4 is is great, but again, the f2 lens is probably a bit quicker. Quicker, but then you lose that stop of light. So yeah, I mean X100V is is such a lovely camera. Spent Spencer Wynn, who you spoke to last week, he's got the X100V, hasn't it? Hasn't he? Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. he he it performs really well for him. Absolutely. I mean, it, it it's a brilliant camera. You know, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is I'm pointing out the slight difference in focus speed between the 23f2 on the xt4 compared to the x100v um now if you put that 23f2 on something like an xt2 or an x pro 2 then the x100v would probably outperform it but because he's got an xt4 with all of the latest you know wizardry and, and shebangs going on inside it then it will be better or quicker to focus or faster to focus what they call it uh, better focus acquisition we shall consider whatever <laughs> I think what we should do is, uh, I, I think you're right. I think he's just asking for permission. So Gemma gave you permission, obviously, for the X100V in the end. And and, uh, and I, I'm, so let's let's bring on Gemma. What do you think? Just give us a bit of an ethereal nod to whether he, he's allowed to get this X100V. There we go. That's all, that's, that's everything you need. Gemma <laughs> says yes. Oh, I'm glad she's not growling. <laughs> no, well, I, I, yeah, I've got the ethereal Gemma. All queued up now. I sent her a, a, a text. I'm, I'm glad, by the way, I don't send your wife texts very often. Um, and, and I'm glad that the texts I send are very business-like. Because um, I, se- I sent Gemma a text. Um, in fact, it was I, I know exactly where I'd sent it, I, I, when I sent it. I was, I was sat for a long time waiting for a load of trains at the Thatcham Crossing, 
Um, and I was listening to the sort of toward the end of the podcast that you recorded together. I thought, oh, they've done really well. I'm going to send a. I, I phoned you uh, and I sent Gemma a text. But it didn't get to Gemma, did it? No, because it got to Rosa, though. Yeah, I know, to your, <laughs> to your daughter. She must yeah. have thought, because I don't think I signed it off as Neil. I thought, well, she must have my name. Um, so I just sent text and it sounded really good. Uh, Rosa doesn't tell us anymore because because they've swapped, they basically swapped numbers. So uh, all of the old things that are registered. So, so Rosa gets all of the, um, the the messages on Friday morning from the bank saying, you are overdrawn. You are overdrawn. <laughs> <laughs> she just stopped telling me now. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. Well, I, I, I didn't say anything terrible. Um, question from, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, I've done mine. So question from Kev from the Facebook. We could do with some more emails, by the way. Um, yes, uh, emails we need. And also Facebook group. Um, we still, we've got actually a handful in there still, but yes, more the merrier. Uh, this is from a Michael, uh, Dressy, Dressy, perhaps. I'm not sure, but Michael. Love the show, gentlemen. You guys are now my favourite number one podcast. Uh, my question relates to backup cameras. My primary body is the X-T3, which I often use with the 16 to 80 and the 70 to 300. I recently purchased an X-T30 uh, to serve as a backup camera. I typically use this camera with my collection of small prime lenses. Uh, funny thing is, I fell in love with this uh, little gem and find that I use it more often, especially for kind of candid moments. So I'm just wondering if you prefer to use identical camera bodies or if you use another model to help fill in the niches of your photography needs. I'm very pleased I chose the route I did. Thank you so much. I personally like to always, if I'm working professionally, I have to have the same, the same bodies. It doesn't always work that way. I'm, I'm working with two different bodies in, in one way at the moment. But but generally, I mean, Fujifilm here now, I'm absolutely committed to the X-H line at the moment. Can't wait for an X-H2. Come on. <laughs> we shall consider. Yeah. Um, uh, it will come, though. Yeah, I don't... Body-wise, I'm not so fussed about, but I do try and use same sensor generation. Yeah. So um, I often... I, in fact, I, I mostly shoot my weddings with one X-T3 and one X-Pro3 um, and uh, a X-100V. Which will it be now? Well, I haven't shot any weddings with an X-100V because there ain't been any. Um, but, yes, yeah, so same generation. Um, but, yeah, I would... I would the, the big risk you see if you go cross sensors at least is using different memory is using the same memory card in different cameras yeah you can do it it's not a problem technically it should be fine but i would really not put memory cards that have been formatted in x-trans 3 in an x-trans 4 sensor camera uh, for example um so keeping it keeping the sensor the same makes you know my little tiny man brain is is just easier to cope with all that kind of stuff bodies wise i'm not so fussed um james Sauls, just before we do i think this might be interesting going into the book i thought i'd drop an email as i stumbled across what sounds like a stunning photo book and a great documentary of the now well the now in latin america anyway it's uh, it's a group of 19 photographers from 14 countries documenting the pandemic there's a little video on, on one of the posts about the book. We'll, we'll include the link in the, in the show notes this week. The, the work looks haunting and thought-provoking in a fascinating document of the pandemic from that side of, side of the world. Photo evidence. Red flag by COVID LATAM. Have you, have you have you seen it? Is it one you're familiar with? I saw the email and I did look it up. Um, so I've, I've kind of looked at it. Yeah, it does look very interesting. I don't yeah. have it. Yeah. but uh, yeah it does look very very interesting thank you for that james we'll include the links this week right book of the week okay so book of the week this week is a hoxton mini press um book but it's one of their bigger ones so it's more like a hoxton bigger press book <laughs> okay. um and it's called london nights it's um or as as you can obviously understand it's a nighttime london shots um i'll read out a little bit of blurb so it says in the glow of the night the vibrancy of london meets a quiet stillness this collection of historic and contemporary images features work from over 60 photographers who reveal the city after hours 
unnerving, beautiful, eerie, and energized. Sounds like they're talking about you. Uh, sometimes what? all in one. <laughs> Step into the night, discover a darker, richer side to the capital. So, yeah, it's a it's a hardback book, uh, although it may have been republished. Um, I don't know whether this is like a first edition or not. However, I'm looking at the Hoxton Mini Press website now, which if you go on there, uh, you know, be sure to kind of lock your credit card in a different room. Okay. It is available to add to your cart for £19.95. But it's it's really interesting because it's uh, it's not all black and white in colour, but it's beautifully produced, as all Hoxton Mini Press books are the paper is nice uh you know it's got a nice kind of coat to it and the printing is is you know is wonderful as always and the text is very what i like about the um hoxton mini press books are they you know they they kind of they really think about the design of the text as well and the layout and the font and uh, it's very subtle the text but it's uh you know it just gives you one simple sentence effectively describing the picture so i'm looking at one here um this is a photograph by alan delaney uh it says b1958 so he was born in 1958 uh delaney spent 10 years on personal exploration of the urban landscape at night seeking out the beauty to be found in available light and that looks like uh what does it say it's the ml 11 Woodford Green 1988 it definitely wasn't where I thought it was but it's uh, yeah you've got some roadworks going on you've got some kind of uh, people sent a uh, little kind of fire drum fire going you know so uh, is, is it a, is, I mean these is there anything really up to date in there as well? I'm, I'm wondering, for example, I, I don't have the book in front of me, whether Nick Turpin's on the night bus stuff that he did in, in London, which was great London night work, whether that would be in, feature in there. Not sure. There's a biography at the front of everybody, but there's 60 odd people in there. Um, it is relatively up to date um, in that there's a, uh, there's a wonderful picture of Fabric Nightclub uh, in Farringdon, yeah. 5 a.m. <laughs> 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Look at them dancing away. Do you remember those days where we would go out and still be up at 5 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> were there? Really? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I, I, I've never been one. I mean, rugby club tours, you know, we, you'd go on a Friday and actually no point in booking hotel rooms. You can just come back on Monday and never go, to, never go home, <laughs> never go to the hotel room. But, but I was never one for thinking, yeah, I want to go nightclub until 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, quite a pint in the pub and, and a curry on the way home was my scene. Yeah, so it's it's one of those ones. So I'm I'm drawn more to the older pictures. I have to say the ones again with the the nostalgia stuff. It's always nostalgia, though, isn't it? Really, that's what drives you. Yeah, and uh, you know the central spread page is uh, is a double page spread, and it's uh, it's it's a chap. It's a, ta- a traditional black cab with this with the old fashioned for hire signs. Remember the the flip over ones. Yeah. It would be up the right way if it was for hire, and then you would just flip it over. So it said uh, eerie uh, uh, for whatever when whatever it says upside down instead of the digital ones now and there's a, there's a a guy walking along with a um a board you know so he would walk around the streets of london and uh he's he's advertising a curry restaurant um on Jermaine street there's a lovely one here bert hardy that's a bert oh, hardy picture I'm a bit of a bert hardy fan yeah from the life uh from life in the elephant made for picture post 1948 and it's a woman leaning against the wall having a cigarette as they all did in those days because it was good for you in the you know, kind of basking in the light from a street lamp but she's just there you know kind of she's got her hair net on and uh, you know a kind of Mag- margaret thatcher handbag and a kind of woolen coat and a stockings all the way up yeah interesting stuff there's some there's some weird pictures in there i have to say that are not 
pictures that I would necessarily associate, look at them and think, oh, that's late night London. Um, there's some kind of landscapey type stuff, really. Pictures of kind of gravel on the road, that kind of stuff as well. Oh, this was an interesting one. Brian Griffin. I like this one. Um, and the, the text of this picture is, uh, Griffin photographed a dramatic sequence from which these are selected, portraying an imaginary nuclear attack on London. The threatened impact suggested throughout actions and play on lighting. So, yeah, really interesting. So he's got this this um, kind of one picture. He's he's in a driver's seat of cars, photographing through the window, and all you can see is is this um, the body of a man who's on his arm pointing out into the distance, telling him where to go. So yeah, it's Spooky. all good. I mean, it's it's really interesting stuff. I think probably if you if you know London, you'll you'll you know you'll find it probably a little bit more appealing. But beautiful book, you know, real one of those ones that you could quite happily kind of leave on your sitting room table and, and let people would pick up and just kind of glance through it and stuff. It doesn't need to be, there's no, no particular context needed for this. Um, it's London after dark. After dark. And, and actually, some of that would have been technically more challenging, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's really interesting to see because they're all, um, none of them are, are um, they haven't affected the light in any way. So they're using the available light. But it's interesting when you look at the ones from, um, so for example, the, um, the there's pictures taken during or around the time of the Blitz. And, you know, the, the technology and the cameras then would have been more difficult, of course. Uh, you know, they're going to be pushing their film speed. But, you know, they're, they're being very, very clever in looking for the light that's available. So you've got spot lamps from, yeah, what they call them, the uh, military police and all that kind of stuff uh, that, are, that are lighting up the debris. And uh, yeah, I mean, that absolutely challenging, technically very, very challenging. Now you, uh, me- you mentioned the, the Blitz. Do they have any of the, those uh, pictures taken in the London underground tunnels? I always find those fascinating, the, the nights when everybody would go un- underneath London to yeah. remain safe from the Blitz. Yeah, not that I've come across, but yes, you're absolutely right. There's, uh, one, I, I also like these the simple pictures. Uh, there's one from uh, Niall McDiarmid, and it's Battersea 2007, and it's just a picture of somebody's house, hmm. you know. And it's it's just it's it almost looks like the opening credits of Gogglebox, you know. All the lights are on, and it looks like somebody's watching a telly and all that kind of stuff. But but the interesting thing is, you again, it goes back to this idea of nostalgia, doesn't it? Where you've got, you know, does that house look the same? No probably the curtains won't the cars outside certainly will be different you know uh, have they fixed the cracks big massive cracks in the driveway is the tree still there or have they chopped it down you know all that kind of stuff really really interesting there's some really nice architectural shots as well mike seaborn doing um, wonderful pictures of kind of tower blocks that one there is great i love this one the brandon estate 1999 you know it's you one two three four 15 story tower block and you've got the all of the light going up the middle where the um light shafts are you know where the elevator shafts are so i suppose or the stairs and then you've got a handful of, of houses or flats in there that have still got their lights on so i'm not sure what time of night it would have been but you've got some of them have got all of their washing hanging out across their balconies Brilliant. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, really like that kind of stuff. When we got back from our holiday, we did that thing that you love with the, the we, since you just mentioned it there with the uh, long lines, because that's something that, that's something that really my mum used to do. And we, we've never done it, but we got a long line out and hung all our washing yeah. across the garden. I thought, oh, it feels like 1940s. I shall have to take a black and white picture. Well, you should come to our house because we haven't got a tumble dryer. So that's what we have to do. Ah, okay. We hang it on the Rayburn or we, um, we hang it on the washing line. Yeah, it's awful in the winter because obviously nothing to dry yeah yeah so now i know you've got a tumble dryer though we'll bring over yours <laughs> yeah bring it over right um questions let's go back to uh have you got some questions there i've got some really long-winded ones here 
Kev. They're getting longer, aren't they? Yeah, they are uh, which is good. Long. Which is good. Okay. From Joanna McIntyre. She says, a wee question again. Uh, I wonder if Joanna's Scottish. Yeah. I recently picked up an XS10 as a second body and wondered what the chances of Fujifilm allowing the front and back wheels to be customized via a firmware update. Whilst in manual mode, really wish I could assign it to the ISO to the front wheel instead. Mm. Well, again, I mean, that would be one for Andreas or, or, or the guys at um, Fujifilm to answer. I really don't know. But what I would say is, so the XS10 is, is a relatively new camera, so it will be on the firmware update process line. So, yeah, I mean, you you can expect some updates, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know 100%, but I'm fairly sure that you can expect some updates to that camera. Whether that specifically will be in there or not, I, I don't know. But yeah, really useful. I'm not sure why that was never in there, really, because a lot of people do that. Yeah. A lot of people use their front dials for um, customising. Um, Chris Stevenson. Hello, guys. Bit of fun for you. You're both in charge of your own camera company. You have unlimited budget, and anything you can think of can be invented. Oh, there's not. A, this is not a company that of the uh, we we shall consider. What would your camera look and feel? Uh, in fact, there's a few questions here. So, how would you? How would the camera that you invent look and feel? So, go on then, Kev. It's going to be. I reckon it's going to be a kind of range findery thing for you, isn't it? Oh yeah, maybe. But I, I, honestly, I I've always said this that. Uh, like the camera, if they could just make a little black box with a, you know with a button and a, and a lens, I would be more than happy as long as it could be used. That yeah, you know, the smaller and the the, the less that it looks like a camera, the better. Really, that's what yeah. I would probably be doing. But then of course, that implement that's a lot of implementation difficulties in that idea. <laughs> it's what nobody's ever done. I did speak to a, a chap on Photography Daily quite some time back that it actually manages to make cameras out of all sorts of things. He'd made one out of a block of cheddar cheese. Maybe that's what you could be going around with, Kev. (laughs) That would be terrible for me. Uh, You'd you'd end up eating your camera, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Can't take any pictures. I've eaten it. Yeah, sorry, can't show it to you. Yeah. Very nice. That picture tasted lovely. Um, what one revolutionary idea would you implement that has never been tried before? Oh, blimey. Well, you always had this nice idea of, of the camera being able to actually edit the job before you, you got home. That's quite revolutionary. I'd like that. That's the one I'm going to put forward. You'll have to think of another one. <laughs> well, I think that is revolutionary, but I think that's something that we will see pretty soon in, in camera technology, I have to say, uh, especially once 5G rolls out across the world properly. So, yeah, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure that we can even call it revolutionary anymore. I don't know. What would I think? I um, oh, It's really hard, isn't it? Because it, it's... This is what was the guy? It was Graham Alexander Bell who, who invented the telephone. After at one point, he walked into his office and, and sacked all of his inventors because he said, uh, he? "That's it. Everything in the world's been invented. There's nothing left to invent. You can all go home." He hadn't <laughs> thought about the mobile phone clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there is there is going to be you know in ten years time everything's going to be so different it's going to be so different uh a lot of people still love the the tactile nature of using cameras and stuff so uh you know whether that whether we'll go away dramatically from that or whether you'll end up with you know uh, well i mean the sad thing is we probably will end up or it probably will go along the lines of phones having incredible camera sensors in them somehow although as phones get smaller then that becomes more difficult for them as well so um i don't know i mean that's a tough one isn't it and maybe uh, i don't know i really don't know it's yeah, all been invented before well when just when you think everything's been invented before i'll digress slightly for a moment but i heard about uh you're probably going to say oh, i heard about that ages ago neil didn't you know about that olio which is a which is an app it is olio isn't it which is an app little chocolate biscuits no 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 this is an app i might have i got it wrong no that's oreo you fool um o- olio is i'm sure it's olio which is an app which was invented. I mean, this Cianide Philanide thing, 
um, by there's two partners I think that work on this. Um, the story's lovely. Basically, she grew up on a farm and she couldn't bear food wastage. She knew how hard it was to you know she she'd worked with her parents on this it's a family business on this farm. She knew how hard it was, how hard farmers work to get produce to shop. And so, mm. therefore, wasting food to her was a criminal act. Later on in life, she goes on to make this uh, this app now. Yeah, where, I'm where, at it now. Where, yeah. You sh- where you essentially, if you've got spare food that you're not going to eat, you put it into the system and, and you say, well, I've, I've got this food, but I'm not going to eat it. And then somebody comes from down the road and they say, well, I'll have it, thanks very much. Free food. Very clever. Yeah. And I heard, actually, that she'd even moved now to getting some sort of ambassadorial scheme uh, or, or champions or whatever they're called who because the shops weren't getting involved so they will go and collect food from shops and they'll they'll do the distribution that's a fantastic idea in, a, in an age where nobody should go should go hungry <laughs> I do. there's no point in me having that app why is that there's more food on your plate mm. <laughs> yeah well you can't abuse it kev you can't just go and pick everything up i'll have that yeah yeah, I love that, please. Anybody, anybody got any food? Yeah, I love that, please. Thank you. Crack, cracking idea, though. Really good brilliant. idea. Yeah, see, brilliant. See that? Very ethical as well. I like that. That's yeah. good. So uh, the website is olioex.com. O-L-I-O-E-X.com. Really good yeah. idea. Um, you can um, – Chris had a load more questions here. You can only build one – well, he's got three more. You can only build one lens for this camera. What would you create and why? What are you going to stick into your cheese camera? Um – do you think it's? It, it, I hope it's not made of. Um, I hope it's not Edam cheese because that's uh, that would be made backwards. Oh God! <laughs> Dear Kev, we need your <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Yeah, uh, I've been waiting. How long have we been doing this podcast? I've been waiting for a cheese gag to come up all that time. That's it. I'm finished now. We'll go home. I'm happy. Finish the podcast. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what, ideally, what you you know, in the ideal world, you want a lens. That uh, not necessarily a zoom lens, but a lens that um, you, you know can. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a bit like this organic sensor type thing that they've yeah. been talking about for decades. Uh, you know, a lens that you 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 don't need to worry so much about the light getting in. But that's then the sensor on the camera. So you know, worry, like aperture loss, if you like. Wasn't perhaps. it Lightro that had that camera that could work on any any aperture? You know, you you decide your aperture after the event yeah well lytro was slightly different in was that it? it yes that was the premise of it and um it, it what it did though was it had i think 25 lenses in the camera yeah so it was it wasn't actually one lens that was apertureless but it was it was 25 lenses it was quite a nifty little idea but i don't think it really took off i, I backed that on kickstarter and then they gave him my money back <laughs> and they, they? Weren't gonna, they couldn't make enough well they couldn't get it to the uk or something i bought yeah. that camera actually and it came from america then Ooh. i got then I got a mammoth um, bill from Customs and Excise. Oh. So. <laughs> Do you use it? Have you ever used it? I haven't got it now, no. It was an interesting idea. That's why I kind yeah. of backed it on, on Kickstarter. It was one of the first things I've ever done on Kickstarter. Um, I love Kickstarter. I'd like, a, I'd like a pancake lens that is a zoom that can go between, I don't know, something like in, in traditional um, focal length, something like 16 all the way through to 200 or 300. But a pancake lens. Tiny. Yeah, we are. We are. We're now kind of bending the rules of physics, but but that's what the question was about, wasn't yeah, it? Was, in, a, yeah. in a world with with no limits, what would you do? Here's one for yeah. you. You show this new camera to Martin Parr for endorsement. What do you think he's going to say about it? Well, for a start, <laughs> he's not going to want to get all that cheese all over his hand. No. 
yeah, I did it. I don't, I'm not sure Martin really does the whole kind of endorsement type thing. You don't see him aligning himself particularly no. to camera brands or anything like that, do you? So, yeah, I'm not sure. He'd probably just say, oh, that looks nice. Yeah, yeah. buy a book. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is your camera company called and what's the model name? My no. camera company would be called Lightning Kev. Lightning Kev? Yeah, Lightning Kev. You Lightning like, Kev and his candid snappers. You sound like one of those characters off of Cars. I'm never 50s rock band. Lightning Kev and his Lightning candid Kev. snappers. Yeah. Oh, quite good questions, actually, Chris. I like those. He said, have what fun. Would have yours, fun with what them. would yours be called? Oh, I don't know. Lightning Kev, probably. I'd name <laughs> it after you. <laughs> Lightning Kev and his candid snappers. Oh, I think that's a band, actually, Kev. you got a band there. All that, yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, it's a new business that can go with our coffee shop. I very nearly, by the way, last week, seriously, no lie, bought myself um, <laughs> a trailer to serve baked potatoes in the back of my Kia. Nice. Well, I'd be outside your house all of the time. <laughs> yeah. I thought, F- this, I can't be doing <laughs> photography anymore. I'm going to go and sell potatoes. Nobody, <laughs> Boris doesn't want me to make pictures. I had a moment. I had a meltdown moment. A, so che- a cheese your, meltdown moment on potatoes. Your potato selling business. I don't know. Oh, no, I do know. I know exactly. I know because we talked about it. Um, the grumpy potato. Oh, perfect. And yeah, I, I would dress great. up as a potato in this. It, it Honestly, it's a great little truck. I would dress, I'd dress up as a, as a as a baked potato and I'd, I'd look really f***ing <laughs> miserable. And, and people would come from miles around because they have you seen that guy that's really, really miserable that sells baked potatoes? He's so funny. There we go. That was my business idea last week. <laughs> uh, yeah, it probably make you a lot more money than weddings at the moment. <laughs> it probably would. Oh, dear. I tell you what, friend of mine, Simon, who I worked with on the radio years ago, we all thought he was mad when he got himself. He went and bought himself a really beaten up old trailer and this old Discovery that, that just rattled as it came into the car park. And he said he was going to go and sell burgers at um, at festivals and stuff. Now he has a fleet of them. <laughs> he makes a fortune. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know somebody who does it. Goes to all the festivals and does it. And he is a great life. You know, I mean, he's single. He doesn't have kids and stuff like that. But yeah, he, he goes to the festivals and uh, takes his trader. Sells. It's he does. He's a wonderful cook, though. He does um, like uh, Malaysian street food stuff. Oh, see that now? I can't do any of that. I can only do a baked potato with a bit of cheese or chili on it. Do you want to join a business, Kev? We could both yeah. go and be the grumpy potato. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I would literally eat us out of that trailer, though. That's the problem. Really? No, you, you, you wouldn't be able. To, sure, you wouldn't be able to eat that money in, in a sitting. Grumpy potatoes. I like that. Yeah, that's good. The grumpy potato. Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, if you want to invest in our new company, the Grumpy Potato, drop <laughs> drop us a line. Um, thank you to our guest Chris O'Sullivan today um, we do need some emails and stuff don't we Kev um, so if if you'd like to email the show with your questions your thoughts or challenges like we had there the, the, there were some great challenges there with a the camera question then uh, email them to click at fujicast.co.uk or um, you've of course got the Facebook group haven't you indeed yeah keep them coming people how do you how do we do it in the facebook group where do we look uh, there's a thread posted into the top called questions for the show thread number two because it's the second time and uh yes we will uh, we will get to your questions super right we'll see you in the facebook group for any questions you have about today's show play nice of course in there um and uh thank you to those we haven't done we we, we didn't uh, we didn't do a shout out for the patrons this week but know that you are loved in essence know that you are loved music is from Blue Wednesday supporting music from the incredible artlist.io and we will see you next week bye Kev bye <laughs>
The FootyCast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.